0: Welcome to Curious and Candid, conversations with those in pursuit of more. Today's guest is Rice University's assistant, football, and swim strength coach. Today's guest, it's Coach Mo. Mo, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm excited to be here. For sure. So, all right, Mo, we're going to just kind of dive right into things. I've got four questions I like to ask all of the guests, I like to call them the conversational starter questions just to kind of get the conversational ball rolling, so to speak. So the first question I have for you is how do you start your day? Is there any specific routine or ritual you like to stick to on most days and most mornings?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So most mornings, uh, being a strength and conditioning coach, you're up early in the morning. So my morning typically starts at about 3 a.m. most days. I'm up at uh, the time that most people are getting home from the bars per se so you know it's kind of one of those things where you kind of have to love that about your field and find the joy in that if you're going to be a strength and conditioning coach but when I wake up in the morning the first thing that I do is walk into my bathroom and on my mirror in my bathroom I actually have my major goal in life like kind of across the top And it's basically like my plan. And I always read it to kind of remind myself of where I'm going and why I'm doing the things that I'm doing. And then off to the left, I actually have three goals that I have written out. And those could be changed on a daily basis, depending on like maybe that goal for the week or the time of the year or the season, or maybe something that I'm personally working on. It could be a weekly goal, a daily goal, but I always try and change it. And then I say them every day to myself and remind myself of what the whole premise of the day is, if It could be an absolutely horrible day, but if I managed to accomplish one of those goals, then I know at the end of the day, I'm taking that small step forward to improve myself as a person in my career.
0: Okay. Um, okay so um, outside of waking up, looking at your goals on your mirror in your bathroom, is there anything else that you kind of try to stick to on most mornings or is it kind of right off to the job after that?
1: It's typically right off to the job after that. But I won't lie to you. My morning also typically starts with a energy drink. And if I don't have myself an energy drink, the boys know that it's going to be a bad day for Coach Mo. (laughs) So I have to have my energy drink so that I can show up ready for the boys with a little bit of excitement. And if I'm even remotely quiet, they're like, Coach Mo. Did you have your energy drink today? Are you okay? What's going on? <laughs> so typically that's how my morning ends up going, but then I get to work and I'm right into setting up for the guys, whether that's lift or run, making sure they're checked in, and it all
0: becomes about them at that point. Excellent. Okay, what's the go-to energy drink or energy drinks for you on, on most days?
1: Oh, white gummy bear rain. Absolutely. You cannot tell me any different that there's a better energy drink out there Hands down rain, sponsor me if you're listening to this, because I spend so much money on your product.
0: <laughs> Love it. Okay. I want to kind of pull back uh, a layer on kind of the goal setting thing because obviously um, you know, that's a that's a pretty popular topic in, in whatever career uh that you're you're in or you're pursuing. So um when did you kind of start? setting goals, uh, Coach Mo, and um, is there a specific process that you like to follow in terms of your goal setting? Would you just kind of touch on that for a couple of minutes, if you don't mind, please?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I've always been kind of a goal-oriented person. And when I grew up, my dad would actually sit there and make me I got good at Excel at a young age because my dad would have me write out my goals on Excel and have like a plan on how to get to my goals. So from a very young age, I understood what goal setting was. And the thing that I think I lacked though, was the process, like understanding the process and being okay with the process and understanding that you're not going to reach your goals immediately. So some of those goals on my mirror don't change for weeks. Some of those goals on my mirror change daily. But understanding that like setting those goals and understanding where you're trying to go at the end of the day and reminding yourself of that because I think the big thing for me is like, especially when we get into season in football, sometimes you can start to get to a point where you're so tired, you're so overworked, you're, you know, been going at it for 13 plus weeks in season and you kind of get into this coasting mindset and it's really hard sometimes not to so being able to say hey like reminding myself this is where i'm going we're still on track we're going to evolve one way or the other and we're also enjoying the day-to-day process of what it means to get to those goals
0: now um i'm going to ask you this just because i can uh can you share with us share with us what your major big goal is that's on your uh bathroom mirror is that too personal
1: No. So the big goal at the end of the day is to be a head strength and conditioning coach. So I have one up there and it says coach Mo head strength and conditioning coach. And then I have like a line where would I would insert the school of where I would end up working. But it's like really motivating for me to see that title up there and say, "Okay, that's that's pretty sweet. That would be awesome to hear that one day. But then one below it is like my kind of mid end goal. So. Mine for that was make a bowl game. And that was my big goal is like doing everything that I can for these boys to do what they needed to do on a day-to-day basis to reach that bowl game. And we did. And it was an incredible season to watch these guys be successful at their craft. And as a coach, that's the most rewarding thing that you can ever feel. So, you know, I got to accomplish one of the
0: goals and I'm hopefully going to erase that and create a new one for this next semester. Excellent. Love that. Okay. Uh, What's your favorite book? Um, And if you listen to podcasts or are a podcast consumer, you have a favorite or go to podcast. And if there's more than one uh, book podcast, feel free to share. You don't have to limit yourself.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I think my favorite book of all time, I'm kind of that book junkie. I always have been ever since I was little. But uh, the biggest one that had the most impact on my life was Extreme Ownership by Jocko. When I read that, I think it kind of made me a better person, but also a very, like a very good coach, because at the end of the day, like you got to realize as a coach, it's not about you. It's about your athletes and being able to look at a situation and take your, you know, responsibility for your portion in the situation, whether good, bad, or otherwise. That was an incredible, like learning curve that I went through after reading that book. I mean, there was a story that he talked about in the book where he uh, had a team go out and they ended up in a friendly fire situation and he had to get up in front of everyone and take ownership for that, even though at the end of the day, like he really had nothing to do with it, but he was in charge of everyone. And he was like, hey, like at the end of the day, this is my team and that is my responsibility. So being able to say, hey, you know, at the end of the day, it's not about me. It's about the, the betterment of the overall goal of the team. I think that was an incredible uh, book that I read that really changed my perspective on what it meant to be a leader.
0: Hmm. Um, And then uh, do you have a favorite uh, podcast or one that you kind of like to listen to uh, often? So is it, can it
1: be a guilty, guilty pleasure podcast? (laughs) Oh, absolutely. It has to be crime junkie. Okay. So one of my uh, degrees, my minor is neuroscience, actually. So I took on a huge learning curve in college. on learning how to do neurodevelopment. And one of my classes was actually abnormal psych. So listening to Crime Junkie, it like, gives me a good idea of how people think. And actually, if I wasn't going to become a strength and conditioning coach and it wasn't going to pan out for me, I was going to go to the FBI and become a forensic profiler.
0: Wow. Okay. That's cool. Now, do you feel like, uh, that, uh, minor that you have, um, in terms of your college education, coach Mo has, um, come into play as, uh, obviously a coach and being a strength and conditioning coach. Do you feel like that, um, part of your education has been very valuable and and if so, how so?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I think the big thing that you got to remember with neuroscience is we don't know a lot about the human brain and a lot of the understanding of the human brain is still based around psychology. So the one way that I actually took my neuroscience background and implemented it into football was I started working with our quarterbacks last year on their OODA loop process. And your OODA loop is basically how you make a decision on a day-to-day basis. And you will go through your OODA loops thousands of times a day. And it could be as simple as picking the cup off, off the table. You had to go through your OODA loop in order to actually pick up that cup. But for a quarterback in a high-stress situation in the pocket to make an a, an effective decision in about, what, five seconds to make sure that the game goes the way that he wants it to go, Some. Some quarterbacks are not great at handling high stress situations. So we had a quarterback last year that I worked with and I took his interception rate from almost two a game to about 0.5 a game after I started working with him. And just his ability to like process the situation, slow it down for himself and be able to assess that he is getting stressed out and go through that OODA loop a little bit more effectively. He was able to become a better football player. So it has absolutely been super helpful as a strength and conditioning coach in my development with these athletes.
0: Mm, Love that. Very cool. Okay. Um, in the last year, uh, what, what, life lesson have you been taught or have you learned? And, um, maybe it was yesterday, maybe it's been the last week or last month, but just within recent times, what's a life lesson you've been taught or you've learned, uh, coach Mo?
1: Yeah, so I think the biggest life lesson that I learned, and I actually kind of experienced this a little bit last year at our bowl game, uh, is taking it all in, taking the moment in. I think in nowadays society, and I'll talk about the perspective of being a coach, it's always go, go, go. You know, like I've been all over the country for jobs and kind of living in places like, you know, sleeping on couches to try and get here to my position now. And being able to be here in this moment, I stood on the sidelines last year and I was like thinking about like what I had to do next and where I was going to go next or like what the players needed. And I was like, hang on, you got to take a step back and realize that you are standing on the sidelines of a bowl game right now. Not many people get to do that and not many women especially get to do that. Take the moment and take the opportunity to understand where you're at. So it was a cool thing to realize this past year because I felt more present. With the boys, I felt more present with the team and especially myself and understanding like where I am and actually how cool my job actually is. Mm. Anytime someone asks me like about my job, I'm like, oh, wait, I have the coolest job. Hands down. I have the coolest job because the ability to actually sit there and realize what I'm doing and what I'm able to do every day is just like the biggest lesson I think that I've learned this past year. And I wish more people would see that in society because once you do take it all in,
0: it is the coolest feeling ever. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, last one here uh, before we kind of dive into your, your backstory, uh, Mo, uh, do you have a favorite quote, mantra or word?
1: Yeah, I actually have two that I've kind of rallied around as of late. So one that I actually uh, created for myself and kind of put on the boys, especially this past summer in our top guns lifts at Rice University was uh, culture is created by those who find value in being different. So one thing that I feel like I've always been decently good at as a coach and had to get good at from an early like uh, phase in my coaching ability was setting the precedent. And building that standard right off the bat. You know, most of these men come from high school and they've never seen a female coach before. And it's not that they have put me in this automatic disrespect category. They just don't understand how to work with me. And so it's my responsibility to set that culture of hey, It really doesn't matter. I'm going to be a little bit different than the male coaches in this building, but I'm still your coach and we're still going to get to the same goal at the end of the day, right? So setting that precedent for them and... Showing them that being a little bit different is actually where culture comes from, right? That's like the whole precedent of culture is culture is different than the norm. And everyone buys into that culture because it's outside of the norm. And then you develop pride around that, being part of that. So setting that precedent this past year for the boys and actually showing them what it means to be a part of a certain culture at Rice was incredibly awesome because if you look at our top guns photos and you can scroll back on my Instagram and look the the top guns lifts were really small it was maybe like 10 people but this past year it was 40 50 guys were participating in these lifts and essentially our top guns lifts were just saturday lifts that these guys would come in and get like an upper body soul session in but it became part of their like brand they were you know, asking guys to come with them saying, hey, like, you're not going to Top Guns this weekend. That's, that's a problem, you know, get in here, be part of it. If you're not part of it, then you're destroying the culture. So I think that was one quote that this past year was like, and I have it in my Instagram bio was really effective in the way that I coached. But the other one was actually from uh, Art of War. And I kind of started reading that this past year, because at the end of the day, football is kind of like war if you really think about it, the whole precedent and basics of sport in general is kind of like war. So I started reading it just out of curiosity and that I came across this quote and I was like, wow, like, you know, I, I really resonate with this. It says, treat your men as you would your own beloved sons and you would, they would follow you into the deepest valleys. Wow. And I think for me, You know, I never played, right? I never played football, and I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I ever got the opportunity to, you know, catch a ball for the touchdown, game-winning touchdown. You know, I'm not going to pretend like I got the opportunity to do that. But I'll tell you what a leader is. A leader is someone who creates a culture that people buy into enough that they will follow you through brick walls, through valleys, and in, in a different rendition of this quote, it says even to death. Now that's a bit extreme for coaching. We're just playing football here, but like at the end of the day, that shows just how bought in men can actually be when you show them what to believe in. Yeah.
0: Excellent. Love that. Okay. Um, we're gonna transition uh Coach Mo into uh your backstory. So um I would like you to share with myself and all the listeners uh where you actually uh grew up and then just kind of paint that picture for us of your childhood. Uh, Talk about the extracurricular activities you were involved with. Talk about your your home life, school life. uh, Just kind of walk us through um, the early childhood years up to about high school. You can talk about high school and then we'll stop there and kind of transition from that point.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I'm actually Canadian. I was born in a small town on the border of Alberta and Saskatchewan and it was so small that we lived on the alberta side but the hospital was on the saskatchewan side so I technically on my birth certificate i'm from saskatchewan but i've never lived in saskatchewan a day of my life <laughs> so i grew up in that tiny tiny town and my parents were from there my mom was a hairdresser and my dad worked in the oil field you know very blue collar jobs but my parents kind of decided from a young age that they wanted more for me and my siblings i have three younger siblings two brothers and a sister and we moved to Calgary, which is about, I think, four hours south of Lloydminster and kind of started our life there. We had an acreage. We were outside all the time, freezing our butts off in Canada as little kids. But, you know, that's kind of like how we grew up. We were snowmobiling. We were water sports kids. So that's kind of like the precedent that we would like were raised on as being outside and being active. And then my dad got a job in the oil field in Houston, Texas. So we all moved down here my parents really kind of wanted to give us that opportunity in america and like give us more um like opportunity to go to school or for jobs and things like that and then plus my mom is a true southern belle we visited houston once and she fell in love with this idea of being a true southern belle so now if you ever get the opportunity to meet her she's got this little southern accent she's got big old curly hair and I love her to pieces, but she really wanted to get out of Canada and be a part of the Southern culture. So we moved here in 2007. I was about 9, 10 years old. And I remember the plane coming through the clouds and me peering through the window and was really disappointed when I saw green. I was expecting desert. I was expecting desolate West, wild, wild west, you know. But I grew up in Houston, Texas, so it's kind of poetic that Rice and I, my first full-time strength initiation coach was back home, or coach job was back home. Um, so I grew up here, and the first couple of years I went to an elementary school here, but my parents were kind of shocked by the size of the schools here in comparison to Canada. So, you know, just kind of like the overexposure to like certain things. My parents didn't want that for me. So I actually was homeschooled for my middle school years. And that gave me the opportunity to really hone in on my sports. So I started dancing. Funny enough, Uh, when I tell the boys that they're like, oh, no way you were a dancer. Like, I'm like, no, I, I was I was. So I was heavily competitive with dance, traveled all across the country. I competed against girls like Autumn Miller, like really famous dancers um, and kind of was going that track in life and then started going to a private Christian high school and got involved with volleyball, got involved with cheerleading and cheerleading actually became my thing, if you will. And when I tell the boys that, it's even more of a shock, right? Like it's just, so baffling to the boys nowadays, but it's so funny to me uh, because I was very bought into the whole cheer aspect. So I went to this private Christian high school and graduated. Uh, It was kind of a, how do you say this? Like a college prep academy. So I went to school three days a week Mm. and then did my sports on the other two days of the week. So it really prepared me for going to college and being a part of like college classes so I graduated in uh, 2015 from high school, and uh, I was the first in my family to graduate or to graduate high school in America. So it was kind of cool. Okay,
0: yeah. okay. Um, I want to touch on a couple things. So uh, talk to us a little bit, uh, Coach Mo, about um, the importance of for you specifically when you were growing up, uh, in terms of like sports. You said dancing, volleyball, cheer. Like, did those sports and being involved in athletics as a young person, uh, did that really have a positive impact on you at that point? And then um, how how do you feel like being involved in sports as a young person has kind of uh, carried over to adulthood and being a strength and conditioning coach at this juncture in your life?
1: Yeah, so being a part of sports as a kid, it teaches you the concept of being responsible for something that's bigger than yourself. And you won't realize that as a young kid playing sports because you're just all about the game, right? But for me, it taught me the concept of family outside of family. It taught me how to stand up for, you know, my teammates that were outside of my family. It taught me to work towards something that was more than just me. And that's the cool thing about it. And I actually carried over probably a lot of my cheer qualities into my strength and conditioning days now well because I'm loud. I'm boisterous. I got, a, you know, a nice Southern Texas accent. But I lead our sideline hype pro- crew. Uh, Club Rice is what we call it. And, you know, I'm out there with the boys dancing around, yelling, like jumping, Uh, I've got a video of me the other day the two I was standing between two alignment and they're pushing me back and forth between them I was thought I was gonna die but I you know what if that's how I died that would have been the way to go out right Uh, but you know carrying over that like pride for something and showing the boys how to have that pride for something was incredibly important because our club rise at the beginning of the year I remember we went to UT and played on their sidelines and I mean you play UT, they're obviously they're in the college football playoffs this year. They're a great team. And you could just see the look on the boys' faces when they realized that, you know, we were, you know, struggling. And I had a conversation with them. And I said, that's guess what? That's not what it's about. It's about showing like your family that you could be in the worst situation, but you still are there and you still got their back. So I don't care if they get a touchdown. I don't care if we get a touchdown. We're still rocking in Club Rice on the 50. So taking that from cheer and kind of having that positive attitude, no matter what, and applying it to football nowadays, I think is one thing that I really carried over.
0: Mm. Okay. Now talk to me a little bit about your relationship uh, with your parents. Uh, You know, did you connect better with your mom? Did you connect better with your dad? Did you kind of feel like you had an equal relationship with mom and dad both? Um, Because obviously the adults in our lives when we're younger uh, have a, a major impact on who we become and uh our own lives when we kind of uh, transition into adulthood so talk about mom and dad and their influence in your relationship specifically which with each one of them if you don't mind please
1: yeah absolutely so my mom and dad are um the most amazing people in my life they gave me the opportunity to do what i do today and the biggest gift that they ever gave me was becoming an american citizen um, because I get, if I was still in Canada, I probably wouldn't get to do this job just because there's not a lot of opportunity to do this. Right. Um, but my dad, I was the first of four kids. So my dad was always rough and tough on me right from the get go. And I think that's why I ended up in football and can do well in football, because I understand what it means to be tough. You know, my dad taught me how to hunt from a young age. My dad taught me how to play a, a great game pool. You know, the things that like most dads should teach their daughters and have that edge, is what my me and my dad's relationship is. Uh, My mom is the most sweet human being you'll ever met. You know how you like when you see like really cute things, you want to like squeeze them to death. Like that's what I want to do to my mother because she is just so innocently cute. It's insane to me. But both of my parents were very supportive of all of us kids growing up and kind of pushed us though. Like we didn't get away with much. And I think that's kind of the responsibility that I carried over from my mom was my mom was very sweet and I love her to pieces, but my mom didn't let me get away with anything. I remember one time I came down the stairs and I was going through this, like, maybe like slightly emo phase. I don't really remember. And I've never seen her get so angry at me. And, but she held me to that standard of like, Hey, like, this is not how you choose to conduct yourself. This is where we're at. Like, this is where you're going. I, I'm going to love you for who you are. And if you want to be that way, I'm going to love you, but also like get, get right. So I think that's what I've carried over into my relationship with the boys is I'm going to love you guys. And I'm going to treat you guys different than, you know, the males on the staff would, and I'm going to take on that more moral role, but you can bet that I'm not going to let you get away with anything. That's for sure. You know, if you're not doing something right, then I'm going to be all over you you know, if you're not showing up to your stuff, then guess what? I'm the one calling you until you wake, wake up. But it's funny because one of the boys told me the other day, one of my old linemen, who, by the way, is like significantly taller than me, like just to play attention to perspective, he's like 300 plus pounds, you know, six, five, like big guy. And he was like, coach, like when you get mad at me. I physically like my heart physically hurts because I feel like I've disappointed you you know, but that's like kind of the role that like I've taken on with these boys is like, they don't want to disappoint. Mm. And I'm not going to sit there and yell at them and like get in their face. Don't like, don't get me wrong. I'm going to yell, but I'm not going to like some other male coaches would because it's just different. I don't really have to at this point now that I've built that trust. So that's one thing that my mom and dad really taught me growing up. And my mom and dad, when I first started getting into this field, didn't really quite understand where I was trying to go. Cause I mean, I was a cheerleader. Like I, they thought I was going to open a cupcake store. Like I was really into baking in high school. (laughs) Like, you know, they thought I was going to go that route. And then I decided kind of out of the blue one day that I wanted to be a, a strength and conditioning coach. And so it took them a while to get on board with it, but you know, now my mom's like my biggest fan and my dad's like, you know, that does nothing but talk football with me. He catches up with football all the time. So it's been cool to see them kind of evolve as I've evolved
0: as well and be supportive of everything that I do. Mm, Beautiful. I love that. Um, Okay. Now uh, you mentioned going to a Christian high school. Uh, Was uh, Christianity uh, something that was a huge part of your upbringing? And if so, I'd like you to kind of touch on that um, because uh, there's a lot of people uh, that I've had conversations with in person on podcasts and um, some sort of religion is a part of their upbringing and either it still is as an adult or they kind of left that behind. So if Christianity was something that was a huge influence in your upbringing, can you touch on that coach Mo and if it is something that's still a big influence in your life, I just like you to kind of expound on that as well, if you don't mind.
1: Yeah. So, the Christian aspect, my parents obviously believed in God and were Christian, but we didn't go to church every Sunday. You know, it was more like, you know, pray, be a, like, work on your relationship with Him, read, you know, educate yourself. But we're going to let you guys figure out what your relationship in that way is, which I really appreciated because. Some of the people I went to school with it was very forced and it was very you're going to do it this way and you're going to figure it out this way otherwise like you're you know shunned I had friends that were even shunned from their families because they weren't taking on the religion that their parents had set forth for them and it was really disappointing to watch and I remember one time I uh like we had a an incident happened in school where like some of the guys were dressing up as like it was like a theme day and the guys were dressing up as girl character or girl superheroes and the girls were dressing up as guy superheroes and our administration kind of freaked out about, about that because, you know, whatever that religion or their religion at that time believed about, you know, being transgender was of a huge no, no. And for me, the thing that I like really pride myself on, and I'm still religious to this day, I believe that God has had a huge influence on my life, I wouldn't be where I am today, without him and without his guidance. And, you know, kicking the butt every once in a while. But at the end of the day, if you just love people, and you show that they're loved. I think that's the biggest thing that people miss from religion is it is not your job to judge. It is not your jo- job to be that kind of person. It is your job to love people for who they are. And through that love, then they're supposed to see what they're supposed to see with, uh, through their religion or what God is trying to show them. That's what really what I've taken away from, from religion. So that's what I turn around. And in my job, I just I love everyone. It doesn't matter who you are. If you're an athlete, that's kind of, you know, being like turd, if you will, I'm still going to love you. I'm going to, you know, give you crap, but I'm still going to love you. And I think that's the biggest advantage that I have as a coach is the boys can see that. And that's why they feel bad when they disappoint me because it's like, Oh, like she does nothing, but give me that love and that care. And I've now, you know, stepped on that. So that's the big thing that I take away from religion. And my parents did a good job at showing us like how to take on religion. And I've grown more in that as I've gotten older. So it's been a cool journey when it comes to that kind of thing.
0: Mm, Excellent. Um, excuse me, outside of your parents, coach Mo, uh, was there any coaches, uh, teachers or any other adults that you feel like had a really powerful impact on yourself, uh, in those younger years and kind of helped shape who you are, uh, now as a, as an adult?
1: So not in my younger years, and when we talk about college, I think that's really when, like, the people in my life came in to adjust. But my parents, like, were a huge development, like, I think more so my siblings. If anything, I felt this like responsibility to my siblings to be a certain type of way and really push my goals. And I mean, like I said, I sat down with my dad and worked on Excel spreadsheets and was teaching my siblings how to use Excel spreadsheets and all of that kind of stuff. But I think at the end of the day, me and my family were very close mm-hmm. and we valued that. And through that relationship with my siblings and having that responsibility, that's really what pushed me to be the kind of person and leader I am today.
0: Okay. All right. So um, you you mentioned a little bit about kind of, you know, uh, some of the interests you had when you were in high school. Now, uh, if you don't mind, talk to us a little bit, uh, Coach Mo, about your transition into college. So you went to this Christian uh, high school and you said it was like a college uh, preparatory uh, high school. And it sounds like it really prepared you well for for uh, post high school, for going to college. So where did you go to college? Um, what did you start off studying? Did you study that your entirety of, of your college years? And then I want you to kind of start walking us through, like, you know, you're, you're this dancer playing volleyball, doing cheer into baking in high school. And then, uh, once you kind of start talking about college, where, where did this, uh, uh, transition start to occur of you getting into strength and conditioning? Because I'm curious and fascinated by, uh, what you kind of shared with your life in high school and kind of where you're at today. So start kind of just unpacking that story if you don't mind.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I graduated high school and went to, well, I, I guess I should say this when you're in Texas, there's one of two schools that you go to is UT and AM. and I went to Texas A&M University. Gig uh, so I left my, my tiny home life in Houston, Texas, and I went to a, big college and a big SEC college at the time. They just transitioned over to the SEC. So I was really exposed to what it is like to go to college um, in the United States. And I was the first to do it. So, you know, I was kind of figuring it out as I went. But I had originally went to school. I was going to be an orthopedic surgeon Mm, and wanted to do the medical route. And I was going to take prereqs for basically both medical school and physical therapy school. So I started working as a physical therapy tech in high school and then kind of started also like transitioning into being a physical therapy tech in college. Um, And I was dead set on this medical track to become a doctor. Now, when I turned 18, funny enough, I really kind of got into the weight room. Mm -hmm. Uh, I started working out, started, you know, getting under a barbell, figuring that out. And so I became a personal trainer at the age of 18. So that's just like kind of a little tidbit that I'll leave for right now. But as I develop uh, in the story, keep that in mind, because that was kind of my first exposure to the weight room. So I was on the track to become a a doctor. I was working in a physical therapy office. I was shadowing in uh, hospitals, working with orthopedic surgeons. You know, I was doing all of that. And then kind of hit this point in my life about halfway through college where I started to really realized that I was on the wrong path. and like there was a lot of things going on. I was dating someone at the time. It was not a good relationship. I was failing my classes because I really wasn't bought in. I lost my job. There was lots of things that were kind of going wrong in my life. and this is where kind of religion really came in for me because it was it, God was like, hang on, We have got to do something different here because you're going the wrong way. And it was a nice smack in the face that I needed to become the person that I am today. So at the time it was very dark and it was very hard and all those kinds of things. But I look back on that moment now and I'm like, that is exactly what I needed to have the edge that I do today. And I'm so grateful for that moment. So I kind of switched gears after all that happened. I remember sitting on the floor of my apartment and I probably sat there for like five or six hours and just contemplated everything. And I was like, you know what? You can either, continue down this path of like pity and figuring it out. And like, I was a pushover. I believed everything that anyone told me. I was trying to fall into the stereotype of what it meant to be a woman in nowadays culture, so that I would be accepted by people, you know, all of the things that normal people in college really struggle with. And I was like, you can continue to go down that path and figure it out. And I don't know where it's going to lead, but it's not going well. Or you can get up off your butt right now you can go put a hoodie on and you can go to the gym and you can prove them all wrong and that's exactly what i did and ever since then i've never looked back i've you know become this like really edgy like person that is going to go after what she wants no matter what and if anything's in my way you're gonna bet your butt i'm gonna hurdle it you know um so that was like kind of the big turning point in my life. So I actually started taking a class not too long after that in sports nutrition at Texas A&M with a guy named Dr. Mike Greenwood. And Dr. Mike Greenwood, uh, I believe was the president of the NSCA for a time. And then he also worked at A&M as a professor, but he had like a creatine lab and he was very involved in the strength and conditioning world, was a former strength coach and you know, kind of was in that field, I guess. So I started taking the sports nutrition class and I was still trying to like figure out what I wanted to do with my life. Um, and I gave a presentation at the time I was personal training bodybuilders and I gave a presentation on how to program for bodybuilders. And he pulled me aside after class and he was like, you know, like, tell me, tell me about yourself. What do you do? And I kind of explained everything, my short tidbit of life story. And he was like, okay, well, have you ever thought about being a strength coach? And I kind of laughed at him. I was like, no, I'm pretty sure I'm going to go to school and be a doctor. And he was like, no, you're going to be a strength coach. And I was like, okay, dude, like, great. Sure, this guy's crazy. Get me out of here. Like, <laughs> but we kind of, like, started having more conversations about it and kind of explored that idea. And he was the kind of guy that also really didn't take no for an answer and was a, a hard ass. Like, you know. <laughs> And didn't let you get away with much, very much reminded me of my dad. And at a time in my life when I needed that fatherly figure to, you know, know, put a boot in my butt, he was there. And at the end of his class, he was like, you know, I would really like you to come and take some master's courses with me. So I actually took two classes with him that were dual credit towards my undergraduate degree and also my master's degree. And they were solely focused on strength and conditioning. And at this point I'm like, okay, like I can see this. So I actually transitioned out of being a personal trainer for bodybuilders and I joined a like gym in the area that was solely focused on working with athletes and started training the Aggie dance team actually. My sister was on it at the time. So that was kind of fun. Um, So started doing that and really got bought into this idea of what it meant to be a strength and conditioning coach. Had no idea where I was going with it, but I was like, okay, like this is kind of cool. So I went to the NSCA conference because he told me to go. And at that conference is actually where I was introduced to the idea of rugby. Hmm. So I met a guy at the conference and he looked at me and he was like, do you play rugby? And I said, no. And he goes, oh, you're going to play rugby. Where do you go to school? And I was like, Texas A&M. And he goes, great. I know your coach. I'm going to give her a call tomorrow. So when I got back from that conference, I actually joined the Texas A&M rugby team. I had no idea what a rugby ball looked like um walked onto the field and everyone was like yeah you're going to be a rugby player and i uh, quickly rose through the ranks and became a a starter uh, in that program and actually played for a team in texas so and that was like kind of the point too where i really started to transfer my cheering like bubbly rah-rah ability into rallying the team around me and that rugby team i think if you would talk to anyone uh, from that team nowadays, they would say, yeah, Coach Mo was like, or Mo was the the wild child. She got us all hype all the time. You know, she was always in, like getting everyone out of their depths and like she was just a wild spirit. And that's really the role that I took on on that team. So while I was doing that, I was taking these courses with Dr. Mike Greenwood and um, I was in my second course with him and I was actually working on creating a special interest group within the NG- NSCA with him for like young strength coaches. So I went to class one day and he was notorious for being like an hour early. The guy was insane. I love him to pieces, but he was an hour early to class every day. And one day I showed up and he wasn't there. And I was like, okay, this is kind of weird. Maybe he's in a meeting. Like, you know, what is what it is. But then everyone showed up to class, class started still wasn't there. Now instantly knew something was wrong. And our, I guess, our dean of the department came in and she was in tears and she was like, guys, I'm so sorry, but, you know, Dr. Mike Greenwood passed away yesterday of a heart attack in his home. And it was in that moment, and I can still, like, sit here and, like, feel, like, the the heart-wrenching, like, oh, my God, like, great. Like, this is, that was the turning point for me. That was the point in my life where I was like, all right, this is God's way of showing me. He put Dr. Mike Greenwood in my life to show me where I was supposed to go and push me down that path right at the end of his life so that I could get to where I need to go. And from that moment, I i kid you not, my mentality changed on everything and I invested myself in what it meant to be a strength and conditioning coach from that point on. I graduated Texas A&M University with a degree in sports conditioning and a double minor in neuroscience and coaching. I was the first one in my family to graduate with a four-year degree and uh, became a great rugby player and was actually, like, potentially debating this idea of going and playing for the national team. But then I decided, I was like, you know what, that's just not the path. That's not what God was showing me. It's it's time to become a strength coach, and that's exactly what I did after I graduated.
0: Super cool. I <laughs> that that's awesome. Uh, that's why I love having these conversations on the podcast because we get we get to see kind of uh you know uh behind the curtain so to speak. So, um, a couple of things, Coach Mo, I want to uh dig a little bit deeper in from what you just shared with us. First of all, I want to talk about just kind of like um the cultural pressures um that every single one of us human beings feels, whether we're from Canada, Mexico, the United States, France, like every country has a culture and there's different cultural expectations. and um, We all feel different cultural um, pressures. So what I kind of want to gather and glean from you is obviously you're a woman uh, and you had these experiences when you were younger and in high school and then you went through this transition period. Um, as you uh, uh, very clearly stated to us um, in college. Now, what were some of the cultural pressures that you felt like when you were in high school and college? And then as you step into strength and conditioning and you're growing and maturing as a woman, um, do you still feel some cultural pressures or some outside pressures that you're currently working through, if that makes sense?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So in high school and college, I really felt the cultural pressure of like, you know, going to college, getting a degree, but then turning around and, you know, being a mom. That was like always the the cultural pressure. And it was like, you know, you need to get a job so that you can be home, like that allows you to be home, which if that's what you want in life, by all means, go and be happy. I think at the end of the day, if you are happy in your life, do what you need to do. But that was just, it just never sit right with me. And I was like, I don't know if that's necessarily what I want. So that was a big thing that I always struggled with growing up because I felt always the want to be accepted by people. And I didn't know that it was okay not to be sometimes. And being the oldest child, that's probably where it comes from because I think my younger siblings never really – struggled with that at all, but I always wanted to be accepted. I wanted to be part of the crew, but I knew from a young age, and it's funny that like, we talk about this. And as I think about it, I knew from a very young age that I was always just like a little bit different. Like I was a little outside of the norm, but I never really knew what that meant. And I never really found value in that until I got to college. And until I had that moment of like realization of this is where I'm supposed to go, boom, let's go. And I think I was always trying to conform to a culture growing up in a stereotype. But now that I understand like what it's supposed to look like, I actually create the culture. Yeah. And I think that's why culture building was something that I got really good at because now I really don't seek anyone's approval. I am who I am. And the only approval that I seek is God's at this point. And that's between me and God, that's between, you know, that's not for anyone to understand, except me and God. But I set the culture moving forward for myself. But I also set the culture moving forward for young women that come into their understanding of themselves. I set the culture for young men when they grow and understand what it means to work with, with women in general, or hold themselves to a certain standard in in society. Because I think at the end of the day, like, My responsibility to these boys, don't get me wrong. I I love a good game of football. I love it. It's it's the most exhilarating feeling to stand on the sidelines and watch these boys be successful at their craft. But my job is to teach them how to be great young men and to send them off into life with the understanding that I have taught them how to hold themselves to that standard. And if I can do that, then I'm a very successful coach at that. So that was one thing that I think that, really helped me even though it was really hard when I grew up, not understanding how to fit into this culture or stereotype because it taught me how to create my own. Yeah,
0: Love that. Um, something else that I want to, uh, have you just, uh, explore a little bit deeper with us. Uh, Mo is, um, you said you started, uh, lifting weights around the age of 18. Now, um, I own a gym and my bachelor's degree is in exercise science. So, and I, you know, have competed in bodybuilding and powerlifting. So I I come from that background, right? Uh when I was younger and I would compete in powerlifting, I'm talking like I was like 12, 13, right? Uh, there was very few uh females in in, in that uh competition setting. Now, um, over the years, um, we've seen, I would use the terminology, an explosion of interest and participation by uh women uh and and young ladies in strength training and and all that i think we have to give a lot of credit to crossfit for for that that would be my personal perspective and opinion um i think it's great i've trained college athletes college uh female athletes um so i've seen this uh you know i don't know if you want to say transformation but maybe a better word would be evolution from you know, uh, ladies in the weight room was kind of like, you know, not really doing a whole lot. If they were in a gym setting, it was more of like the, the elliptical and the treadmills and the cardio stuff. Right. So for you, uh, being, uh, still very young, but starting to lift weights as a teenager, uh, how did you get exposed to the weight room? Was it through athletics? And when you started lifting weights, can you just talk about like how did it make your body feel? Like, what did you feel? Was it like something you fell in love with right away? Because obviously that's the career that you're in right now. Um, And I think it's important, even though you've never played football and you're a strength and conditioning coach for football players, I think it's important that people, if you're going to be a strength and conditioning coach, you've actually lifted some weights and have <laughs> some sort of understanding of the, the weight room. So would you just kind of talk about those first, years and experiences that you had and what it was like and what you felt uh when you started um lifting weights please
1: yeah so actually i started lifting weights because i've always been a bigger person Mm -hmm. so i'm i got really dense bones as my dad would say he's like you're built like a rock i'm like at the time i didn't like that i was built like a rock um i was always I grew really fast, so I was always taller than my friends. I was always bigger than my friends, and especially my guy friends. I grew and was bigger than my guy friends for a large portion of my middle school and high school career, and so at that time, my understanding was women need to be small. Women need to be petite, in shape, and my mom was actually a a pageant girl. She was in the Miss Canada pageant. So her perspective on it, too, was also women need to be small. And so I had like all these kind of like societal, whatever you want to call it, whispering in my ear saying, hey, you need to go and you need to look a certain type of way. So I started going to the gym because my mom was going and I got a membership under her. And I saw all these people lifting weights. And at the time, it was like you say, it hadn't really exploded for women quite yet. So I was like one of maybe three in there and I was like, Oh gosh, I'm just going to stick to the treadmills. I was also like 17 at the time. So I really didn't, you know, like know what I was doing. And then um, I actually started shadowing a personal trainer because I was kind of curious about the idea of becoming a, a personal trainer and doing it on the side in college. And I started shadowing him and he introduced me to the barbell. He introduced me to a hex bar. And I just like, I don't know like having that idea of being able to move something that weighs more than you or control something in a control in a chaotic setting is the most exhilarating feeling and I think that's what I try and teach to my female athletes now. So my swimmers when I first got to Rice were very scared of a barbell. It was like voodoo. Like you didn't get under a barbell you definitely didn't get under a barbell to bench, right? which is the most important thing, in my opinion, for a swimmer, because that's all they do is pull. So you need some element of push to counteract the pull, right? So when I started explaining to them the importance of being under a barbell, I said, it's not even about moving weight. I said, guys, like, when you come in this weight room, you get to choose how successful you get to be that day. You get to choose how much weight you want to move based on how you feel that day this is your house, this is your mind, and this is your sanctuary. And I think that's what the gym became for me, was like my little sanctuary of being successful. So it was became my escape from the rest of the world. And it's ultimately, at the end of the day, like really what saved me and my mentality, because if I was frustrated about something, gym. If I was happy about something, gym. If I was failing classes, gym. You know, like anything that I was like wanting to work through, I went to the gym and moved heavy weight and thought about it. And I think the more that the girls started to realize that the more they fell in love with the idea of getting under a barbell. And I think the cool thing is, is like my swimmers do a good job, but like swim, you have to have like that basic understanding of being strong. So I'll take it back to my time at Tarleton. I worked with cheer and dance and those are two sports that are just anti weights in general right because you don't want to look bulky like a man blah 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 like all the reasons why but by the time I was done with that program and I had left I had girls that were five fours uh, taking 225 for two reps belting up smelling salts like you know they were bought right in and they had developed this culture around what it means to be in control in that room and it teaches you a lot about life outside of that and to watch them be able to grow like I grew in the weight room is the coolest thing ever. And I think that's why society and women nowadays have really bought into this idea of the gym because that is a sanctuary where you can be in control of your success. Mm.
0: Okay, Um, why don't you uh, take us kind of back into your uh, story. So um, this very impactful professor that you had passed away, And that's kind of like the turning point that you mentioned earlier. And you're like, you know, that was like God saying, Hey, this is the direction I want you to go in. So you kind of, we kind of left off there. Um, and we know that you graduated. So once you graduated from, uh, uh, your undergraduate, where did life kind of take you, uh, coach Mo, please.
1: Yeah. So when I graduated, it was the height of COVID. (laughs) Uh, so I finished out my school online and applied for an internship at Yale university hmm. and got it. I started it online, but I really like wanted to go and be in it and be a part of it and see what it was like to be like on the floor, coaching these athletes, especially in the Ivies, like the Ivies are very different. So I wanted that experience. So I waited a little bit, worked for a summer and then got in my car. I sold everything that I had, uh, my bed, like my dresser, everything, whatever could fit in my car is what came with me. And I drove to New Haven, Connecticut. It was an unpaid inter- internship, a 26 hour drive. That was the farthest i had ever traveled from home by myself to go live somewhere. Um, and it took me about three days to drive there because I was like so nervous driving up there, but got there and was really kind of immersed to, into what it meant to be a part of D1 athletics. I worked with every sport, And that was the the school that I was most exposed to, like in variety of sports. So like fencing, I worked with sailing, crew, rowing, um, you know, basketball, uh, tennis, football. But the way the weight room was run at the time because of COVID was they were all in the same weight room at once. So I'd have a football player in one rack and then tennis player in the next rack. And I had to learn how to coach both of them, right? It's very different styles of coaching when you're talking to a female tennis player and a, a male O-lineman, you know, like it's very different. So I had to learn that, but it was such a cool way to be exposed to everything all at once. And I think the coolest thing about that job was walking into the weight room, you look up on the wall and John F. Kennedy's up on the wall in his football gear and uh, George Bush is up on the wall. So the amount of history that was in that place. And I think my exposure is Starting there as a strength and conditioning coach was super cool in that aspect. Um, I stayed there for about six months and then got a job at Rice University as an intern, actually. So I got in my car, drove all the way back to Houston and started my position at Rice. And it's kind of poetic, but this is where I really fell in love with the idea of football strength and conditioning. To watch these boys, like... culture that they have here between like academics and being able to still do what they need to do to be awesome football players is it's hard to find that anywhere else like Yale, they're highly academic but also most people don't go to yale to play football right like that's not where you go to play football but for rice like it's starting to become this place where yeah if you're looking for high academics and to also play football yeah it's a great place to go So my boss uh, that I worked under at the time, Hans Straub, was an incredible mentor to me and uh, was a nice like a nice transition into what it actually meant to be exposed to football strength conditioning. I got my own racks to coach. They trusted me. They pushed me. And it was kind of like Dr. Mike Greenwood where they saw that talent in me and they really were the the push that I needed to become the strength coach that I am today. And Zach Warren, who's also, I work. I share an office with him now. It's so funny. Uh, but I was his intern and he was also like the nice like push that I needed to become a great strength and conditioning coach. I started doing genetic profiling um, at that time where I basically can run a genetic analysis on the guys and tell a coach like how much muscle mass I can actually put on them based on their uh, genetic bone breadth, things of that nature. And if they actually have the genetic capability to go to the league or play at a high level. So started that there and finished my internship out. And I was honestly very sad to leave. I was very sad to leave this place because I felt like I had really found my home, that I really had great relationships with the guys. And um, it was kind of like sad for me to leave. It, and I honestly came back a couple of times to visit after that, but I went to Tarleton state. I worked uh, as a GA under coach Rod Cole, who, is now like a dad to me at the time. He again was the the kick in the butt that I needed to become this like coach that I am today. But he has been an incredible person of like supporting me. I mean just recently at the bowl game he came out and watched me at the bowl game and was like hey I'm so proud of you. You're doing amazing things in this career. And he worked at Kansas State under Bill Snyder. So for him to say that to me and show me like hey what what I'm doing is right. It's just another Dr. Mike Greenwood, and just constant God's constant reminder of like, hey, you're you're going down the right path. So I worked there for about eight months. I worked with their football program, their men's basketball program. And then I programmed for cheer and dance. Um, That's also where I got exposed to sports science. So I started working with the Nord Board, fell in love with the idea of sports science. I was doing my genetic profiling there as well. And then uh, during my time there, I was getting my master's degree. And actually left early. I was supposed to be there for about a year and a half, two years. And I left early to go take a coaching assistant position at Fresno state, uh, under coach Andy Ward and was really immersed in sports science there. Cause he bases his program really hard, like hardly on sports science and worked with a team there that was incredible. Uh, gained a lot of like older brothers in my time there. And, um, uh, the kids were like such high-caliber athletes. Working with them, that were really bought into the idea of football, but you know, not necessarily as much as, uh, academics. It was really cool to kind of see the other side of it, right? So from there, I spent about three months there. Actually, I wasn't there very long uh, because Coach Hans gave me a call on Super Bowl Sunday. It was the best Super Bowl Sunday ever because he offered me a football full-time strength and conditioning job to come back to Houston and work for the Rice Football Program. So I've been here about two years now and it's uh, the coolest job ever.
0: Okay uh, so I want to take a step back. Um, You mentioned uh, well first of all uh, why did you try to uh, you know get that internship at Yale and then you mentioned that the Ivy League schools kind of do things a little bit different. Can you just uh, expound on, on those statements or that statement a little bit more and your reasoning of wanting to kind of get into an Ivy league school in terms of, uh, that internship, uh, at the start of, uh, this career.
1: Yeah. So I'd heard that that internship was a very hard internship. And if you wanted to become a good strength conditioning coach, you went to that internship program. And I believe Stanford was like that for a little bit. Like if you wanted to be you were really pushed to become a good strength coach. You went to Stanford as an intern. Um, I also didn't really have a whole lot of guidance at that time of people saying, hey, you should go and work for like an AM as an intern or one of these bigger schools. The thing that I liked about Yale though and what I was told in my interview was you're not just going to be wiping benches. You know, you're going to be coaching. You're going to wipe benches, but you'll be coaching. So when I got there, like the big thing for me in that internship that I learned was like attention to detail. My uh, coach that I worked for there, Thomas Newman was an incredible mentor in the fact that he didn't let me get away with anything. We would sit there at the end of the day, we had blue turf that would go through the center of the weight room and we sat there and we had sliders and you had to pick the turf. You picked every fuzz, every grain that wasn't supposed to be on that turf. You picked it. We weren't allowed to vacuum it. You had to pick it. And again, it taught me a lot about how you set up a culture of pride within your program. So we picked the turf. I remember one time um, we there was 14 interns, I believe. We were all working on a project, and we were not getting along. We were not working together. And we were doing a project over log drills in the military. And kind of their big thing at this internship was education in strength and conditioning so we went over programming for like military we went over programming for college athletes high school athletes you know it was all over the place and we really got exposed to sports science and how to integrate four stacks. you had a lot of education in and amongst just being a coach but we weren't working well together on this project and uh my boss was like all right cool y'all don't want to work together okay you guys are going to spend the day go out find a log shave it down I do log girls with it until you learn how to be a team. And that's exactly what we went. And I'm pretty sure we trespassed, but that stays between you and me. Uh, we went and got a log. It was way too heavy to do log girls with, but we shaved it down. And we were all so angry at the time. We were like, we're here in New Haven, not getting paid, shaving down a log. I'm just trying to be a coach. But now looking back at it, that was what taught me how to have edge and what it's like to be working on a team and what it is like to hold your teammates accountable. And I was like a lead intern at the time. And so it taught me how to be a leader in the sense of we are all going to rally behind the same idea. And if you are not bought into that idea, guess what? You're either going to get involved or get out. So that was the, the thing that really kind of pushed me to take that internship and how it was very different than like some of these other big schools where you just go and wipe down benches and you're just kind of happy to be there. Like it was involved. It was hard. I remember getting a call at midnight from my boss saying, Hey, I need an executive su- summary written for me with 10 sources. Oh, and by the way, I'll see you at four thirty on the floor. It taught me how to have edge and it taught me how to find the joy in those kinds of things. And I think that was the coolest thing that I ever learned from any internships that I ever did.
0: Okay. Um, So uh, I want to talk a little bit about uh, something. I've had several strength and conditioning coaches, including other uh, uh, females on the podcast. And uh, a lot of them, uh, uh, the other strength and conditioning coaches talk about finding their coaching voice. And I know I can't remember her name, um, but one of the other ladies I've had on the podcast, that's a D one strength and conditioning coach. Um, uh, we had a pretty thorough conversation about her finding her coaching voice. So, um, first of all, what does that kind of mean? And then, uh, you know, practically speaking, how have you kind of found, or are you still in the process of finding your coaching voice? What does that look like in application in, in the weight room coach Mo?
1: Yeah. And that's a hard thing for a lot of coaches to learn, but I think that, um... That was one thing that came very naturally to me, funny enough. So I've always been a very loud person. I actually have hearing problems, funny enough. My, my left ear doesn't hear very well. My right ear is, you know, kind of mid when it comes to hearing. But I talk at a higher volume anyways because of that. So when I got to Yale, it was funny because um, we had a drill. It was called Pantera. And so we would sit on one side of the weight room. And uh, coaches would sit on the other side of the weight room and they would hold up a sign with an exercise on it. So I had a RDLs and I had to sit there over Pantera, like music was blaring over the speakers. I had to sit there and yell and coach an R- them through an RDL. And I was the only one that passed the drill because I was able to yell over top of the music. <laughs> and so maybe my deafness came into play uh and really helped me out at a young age. So maybe I can thank uh, God for that. But I think that's like being loud is one way to have a coaching voice, but getting buy-in when you actually speak with your voice and have these athletes hear you and what you're actually trying to say is a completely other side to having a coaching voice. So for me, like I remember the other day I was standing on the sidelines and I, someone was trying to get the guy's attention and it was just getting drowned out. And he sounded like everyone else. And I echoed him and I was like, hey, and all of the guys turned around. And they instantly looked at me because they can, I yell different. I yell with purpose. They know that when I say that, I mean it. I'm, I need your attention. And so I've kind of like developed that as I've been in the program with these guys to the point where if I say something, they know exactly to look for me. Now, I think though, at the end of the day, being a strength coach and having your coaching voice and being able to communicate effectively is the biggest lesson that I ever had to learn. I'm trying to think of an example. One time at Fresno State, uh, I had an athlete that really had a problem with male authority mm-hmm. and we didn't figure that out until later but he just didn't listen to anyone he wouldn't put his gps on he wouldn't like listen in the weight room if we told him to like be here at a certain time he wouldn't be there da, 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 da. so the one day he didn't put on his gps and the coach was like you know what whatever i don't even care at this point he's not going to listen and i was like okay like I, I was in charge of gps that day and i really needed the data. so i went up to him and keep in mind this guy's like six seven i reached up tapped his shoulder and he looked at me and I was like hi like you know I'm sorry I'm just trying to get some you you know I'm like looking up at him like hi I'm I'm not a small person I'm 5'9 but these boys make me feel really small I was like hey like I need some data you know kind of explained it to him and just kind of had like a conversation like me and you are having right now and his response was oh yes ma'am absolutely Mm -hmm. and took the GPS put it on and I looked over my coach's face was like what voodoo did you just do come to find out though his uh he was raised by mom and grandma Hmm. so understanding about that about your athletes and who needs a you know a fire lit under their butt Hmm. and who needs the conversations like we're having right now or who needs the conversation where you pull them into your office and you just sit them down or hey like let's let's have lunch together like you know how's your day what's going on or you know I was the only type of athlete that I needed someone to yell at me. All right. You need me to yell at you? Cool. I'll yell at you. But I think that's where coaching voice really comes into play. You can be the loudest person in the room, but it really doesn't matter if no one can hear you.
0: Right. Right. Um, Okay. So uh, we're again, kind of going to go back to the obvious, but uh, you're a lady uh, in a very male dominant uh, profession And obviously you're coaching football players. That's, that's a male dominant sport. So um, I just kind of want you to, from obviously from your perspective, like, have there been any situations where you've uh, you know, uh, or learning experiences that, you know, because you are a female, because you're a lady in a male dominant career, male dominant sport, like it's been, Kind of weird or awkward, or you've had to learn to maybe make some adjustments or other coaches or players have had to learn to make adjustments. Can you just touch on that? Because I know the other uh, D1 uh, strength and conditioning coach, that's a lady that I've had on the podcast. We kind of got in this too. And I just think it's important because obviously there's going to be other ladies that are going to be listening to this. Um, and I think it's important for you ladies that are already in the profession to be able to share some of these insights. So maybe people can obviously learn from you and 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 learn to navigate that as they pursue becoming a female strength and conditioning coach as well. So could you touch on that, please, Mo, for a second?
1: Yeah, so that's kind of the, the biggest curve that I also had to get over becoming a strength and conditioning coach, especially in football. So I take it back to the age-old story that I usually tell uh, uh, young women in this field. I've had quite a few calls this past year with just women who are like, I just have questions, you know, like, what's it like? What do you do in these situations? Like, how do you handle it? And I remember one time I was, we were on the field for a run and a very prominent player on the team uh, called me a bitch. Hmm. And that was the first time I had ever been called a bitch. And I turned around and I said, you know, that's crazy because I'm pretty sure the definition of a bitch is a female dog. And I don't know if you noticed, but I am a female and you can bet your ass that I'm a dog, so put your hand on the line and let's go. And his face was like, oh my God, you know, but like I didn't let him, he tried to take a mile and I didn't even give him an inch. Mm. And I think that's where I would love to see women in this field really step up to the plate of actually like handling situations like men would. Because again, The thing that I had to learn is it's not their fault necessarily. They've just never been exposed to someone like me. So it's my responsibility to teach them what that is like. Mm. And I think a lot of women, and I was like this too, I just kind of assumed that I was going to get respect because I had coach in front of my name. Not it at all. And I wouldn't want it that way. I want to earn your respect as a coach. I don't want you to just like, tote the line with me because I'm coach and I, you know, you're going to get in trouble. I want you to respect me because I'm coach Mo, mama Mo. They call me weight room mama Mo because they've built that respect and trust with me. Not because I just have coach in front of my name. So there's been many, many instances where I've like had to deal with really tough situations like that. But I typically always deal with it on the spot. If you let it go and you let these young men figure out that they can get away with certain things they're going to continue to get away it's no different than children and i don't have children but i had younger siblings so if you let them get away with things over time they're going to learn it's okay but if you instantly nip it in the butt and you're like hey like that is not the standard this is not this is not the game that I, we play and i bet you but i'm better at playing than it so I think like that was kind of the big thing that I had to learn. I remember one time at Carlton, I was uh, helping the guys stretch out their hamstrings. And one of the players made a comment about how I never wear shorts. And I said, would you say that to your sister? And he was like, why would I say that to my sister? And I was like, okay, would you say that to your mom? Why would I say that to my mom? Well, exactly. So why are you saying it to me? oh i'm sorry coach i'm sorry and you know they always like back up because they don't really understand like what they're saying because up to this point they've only seen women in their life that are their mom auntie sister or girlfriend Mm -hmm. so it's about teaching them what it means to work with these you know like female authority figures and how to have respect for them at that level Mm
0: -hmm. very well put okay um now uh we've kind of talked about goals and stuff. And you've mentioned uh, a couple of times about making it to uh, some bowl games. I think you're just fresh off of a bowl game, maybe this past week or something. Uh, So talk about, um, so we've talked about like the personal goals then obviously as a football team or a swim team uh, there's, there's team goals, there's individual goals. Um, But for like Rice university, what was like your guys' overall team goal for, uh, a football team this year, and then uh, talk about uh, your experiences being able to uh, be a part of, you know, a bowl game and on the football team um, during uh, during those times and those experiences, Mel.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So when I got here as an intern, it was kind of, it's kind of been cool over the past couple of years. I've really been involved with this program on kind of different levels for the past three years now. So to really see this team evolve from the team that I worked with when I first got here to the team now is absolutely insane to me. So the big goal that we had this year, like taking it back a little bit, like, you know, taking a layer of skin off even more, just like talking bowl games or championships. We wanted to set a culture this year. So we actually had a guy come in this past summer and talk about like, you know, working together as a team or what it means to like have positive self-talk or, what it means to fight for the player standing next to you on the field, things of that nature. And so that's why I kind of adopted the quote from art of war this past year, because one of the exercises that we did was all of the players had a partner and they talked about why they play football. Hmm. And I, you know, I remember listening to one of the kids stories and I had no idea. He was like, yeah, I was, um, you know, my mom was in the foster, a foster home growing up and she did everything for me and like, you know, worked three jobs. So I play football for her. Hmm. So I'm sorry. Like that gives me chills sitting here. So, you know, if I was a football player and I was standing next to that kid on the line, I'm not only playing for me, I'm playing for him. So set in this culture of like, we don't just play like as individuals, we play for each other. You know, if someone's in someone's face, you know, you're protecting them. If someone's, you know, across the way is saying something about someone other, some, someone else on your team, you know, you're in their face. Like you protect what's yours and your family. And it was really cool this past year to see these boys become a family. Hmm. And it's really hard. I think that uh, the UT head football coach talked about that this past at a interview just recently on what made his team so different this year. And that's what he talked about was like the culture of these boys and the love that these boys have for each other is what made our team so different. And I think that's what ultimately this year, like got us to six wins in our bowl game because these boys thoroughly believe that they were fighting for something that was bigger than just them as individuals. And it's hard nowadays with the transfer portal being the way it is. And, you know, like all of the things that NIL, like all of the things that are coming into play with football. But if you can always take it back to the idea that you're playing for something that's just bigger than your individual self, That's, you know, that's what made men in war so dangerous because it wasn't about just protecting yourself. It was protecting the guy behind you. Mm. So it was really cool to see them develop this past year in that sense. And I think that was more so our program's bigger goal was to really set the culture and the foundation so that this year we can build upon that and do what we need to do on the field.
0: Mm. Um, Okay. Now, uh, I want to ask you uh, kind of about – training philosophy on um, that kind of ties into coaching philosophy um the head strength and conditioning coach there at rice university for you know um you know the football team i don't know if there's like multiple people over different sports but let's just stick to the football team there uh whoever the head uh, individual is for strength and conditioning um does that individual kind of have like a specific training philosophy Uh, and if so, kind of like, if you don't mind sharing what that is and then do you have kind of your own developing training philosophy and then how does that kind of tie into maybe like your coaching philosophy? Cause they're kind of, they're different, but they're also obviously one and the same.
1: Yeah. So Hans does an
0: incredible job of understanding
1: his guys. You know, he's been at the highest levels at like Stanford and he's, done, he's been here for many, many years in the Rice program. So he's watched it develop from like the ground up. And I think that he does an incredible job of uh, looking at these boys and saying, I could put them under a barbell, and put as much weight on them as I could. And, you know, maybe get some training benefit out of it. But how do I get the most training benefit out of these kids? How do I make them feel their best on the field? And so he put me with specialists and quarterbacks. And a lot of times in programs, most specialists don't get their own strength and conditioning coach that solely works with them. And it's unfortunate because I think that's a really key component to your football program, right? But giving us each a group and being able to say, Hey, like, listen to them, make the adjustments that they need for their program. If something's bothering them, let me know, but we do everything velocity based training so it's automatically gonna spit out if that kid is not feeling his best that day, or if he's feeling better than his best that day, and we can push him even harder. So I think he's done an incredible job of building a program around the guys. And I think that a lot of strength and conditioning coaches miss that because they're, you know, they're they're running the hatch program or they're doing triphasic or and just doing like the standard issue of what the book says. But at the end of the day, like it's about the kids, not about you. So he's done an incredible job of teaching that to me and I've really taken that on and applied that to my training philosophy and my coaching voice and everything that I do because, again, like I said, it's not about me, it's about them. So if I have a conversation with a kid one day and he's like, coach, like I had three hours of sleep last night, I was studying for a test, which happens often at Rice. It's all right. Okay, we're going to make these adjustments so that you get the best out of today possible so that you can perform your best on the field. Hmm. Now, the cool trade off with that is those boys see that in us as a strength and conditioning staff, and they buy into us even more so that when we do ask them to do the hard things, they're like, cool, we're going to run through a big brick wall for you because we know that you have our best interests in heart. Mm-hmm. And sometimes with a coach and a coaching philosophy, I get like a little bit nervous to answer that question because I think people are looking for like that standard issue. I believe in this type of training. I believe in this path. I believe in this kind of discipline, but you know, like whatever you want to say, but at the end of the day, my belief is that it's about the boys. It's not about me. And what I have to do to make these boys better is what I'm going to do.
0: Right. And, and I mean, kind of going back to your personal training days and uh, again, like I said, I own a gym. I've done the personal training and all that. It's all about individualization. Right. And I think, Personal trainers, nutritionists, strength coaches, anybody in kind of this realm, uh, they, they fall into that, uh, you know, um, trap of like, well, this is the way that I was taught in college and this is the way I'm going to do it and this is the way it's always going to be done. Well, uh, you know, we're all as individuals. Maybe you've got a football team. Obviously, they're all male. They're all football players. There's a couple of commonalities, right? But like you said, three hours of sleep, one person, nine hours of sleep, the other person, uh, boyfriend, or, I mean, excuse me, girlfriend, relationship problems. Like there's all kinds of factors that go into our performance as coaches, as teachers, as athletes at, you know, being parents, whatever. Um, so I think it's, it's, it's another level of planning. It's another le- level of being in tune It's another level of focus and discipline as a coach, as a teacher, as an educator to be paying attention and asking the questions of your athletes and your students like, hey, how much sleep did you get last night? How's your nutrition? How's your relationships? Uh, You know, what was your training like yesterday or, you know, all, all these factors tie into getting the most out of the athlete, right? It's more than just a program. It's more than just a philosophy. It's being individualized to your, uh, you know, uh, athletes and their needs and what have you. Is that fair to say?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that the more
0: coaches can buy into that, the
1: more their athletes are going to buy into them. And I mean, the way, again, like the way football is going nowadays, you can leave and go to whatever school you want. So keeping athletes in your program and showing them that value of like, hey, like it, you're not just a transaction here, because hmm. that's what it's turning into. Is these boys are feeling like it is a transaction. I'm not getting paid enough from that my NIL deals. You know they don't want me here. They're not playing me. Like you come into a program to develop. You're 18, 19. You're coming in to develop, and we care about your development, and we give a shit about you. And this is your family. So the more the coaches can sell that, I think we're going to develop really good like football players and young men at that. And especially when you come to like understanding training philosophies and all of these like fancy ways of being a strength coach. That's what makes it cool. There's no one way to be a good strength coach. There's no one way to train. And I think coaches get really locked into this one way of training because it worked for one season instead of understanding that each season you have a different team and it's going to be even more so that way now and being able to be flexible with your training philosophy so that was what was cool for me going from like yale where we were very focused on like you know standard issued mark Ripito, you know like the og style of strength training whereas like here we're all velocity based training at fresno it was very sports science based like if you stepped on a, uh, force plate and did a counter movement jump and was down. Like we adjusted, you know, like there's so many different ways to do it. If you can just find a way within your program to customize it to all your athletes to get the most out of them.
0: I don't see why you wouldn't. How do you guys, uh, how does the, like the nutrition and, uh, some of the, um, uh, factors that, you know, uh, obviously they tie into the weight room and, the athlete's performance, but maybe, um, it's not specifically overseen by you guys at some universities. I know the strength and conditioning coaches do the nutrition. They, they track the sleep. Like they, they do it all. Is that how it is at rice? And are you involved in that coach mo, Or do you have, um, you know, uh, registered dietitians and, you know, people that kind of, uh, do that type of stuff so that you guys don't have to do all that. What does that look like specifically for you guys at, uh, rice?
1: Yeah, so great question. My official title got changed this past year. So I'm actually uh, assistant strength and conditioning coach and football nutrition coordinator now. So I oversee all the nutri- day-to-day nutrition for the boys. So I work with our registered dietitian, and but she oversees all of our sports. So she's stretched pretty thin. So I do the day-to-day nuances of what it means to keep these boys accountable for their nutrition. So I'm sure you saw this past season, uh, our one of our interns went viral on Twitter for being the
0: gummy worm guy. Uh, I didn't, I didn't see that, but tell me about it. <laughs>
1: so we uh, in the summer, of course, it was 110 degrees in Texas. It was incredibly hot and. I was personally noticing that the boys were having trouble staying hydrated, they were cramping on the field, which rightfully so it's 110 degrees but it was just it was starting to get worse and it was starting to be really hard to control. And we have an indoor facility but like even then the guys were struggling to keep weight on and they were struggling to stay hydrated. So one of the things that I brought into play, uh, we were starting to have some taste fatigue with our like applesauce and honey stinger gummies, you know, like the kind of standard issued stuff that the boys have on the sidelines. I brought in uh sour gummy worms and sour patch watermelons and lifesavers. And I'm sorry but what 18, 19 year old boy doesn't want a sour patch watermelon. And I started, you know, Handing out a couple on the sidelines, they take them in their hands and they, they eat them. It doesn't upset their stomach. It's not a whole lot on their stomach. I mean, when you're hot like that, that's the last thing that you want to do is eat food, right? So I started doing that because uh, it's quick glycogen. It's an insulin boost. And there's actually studies out there that show that sour candy is actually a neurological depressor. It actually brings down your like flight or fight system. So they say that if you're having like an anxiety attack or a, a panic attack, you're actually supposed to have sour candy, because it'll get you more focused on the sour candy and what's going on like, like in your mouth with the sa- sour candy versus the situation that's going on on the outside. So we started doing that and the boys love it, right? Like they sit there and they're like, oh, candy, oh. like, you know, they, they get so jazzed about it, but it really started to help maintain their weight you know, pre and post practice. And of course uh, our, my intern, Daniel, he's from a was handing him out, I believe at the Tulsa game and someone in the stands got a video of him because he's got this look about him. He's got a mullet. He wears a hat like kind of on the top of his head. He's got these like tiny little like Ozzy Osbourne glasses. And then he's got like this little like mustache going. So he just looks like kind of out of place, but he was so good at his job and did a great job taking care of the guys on the sidelines while I managed like sideline security essentially. And he kind of went viral for being uh, the gummy worm guy. So we actually trolley sponsored us for the rest of the semester. We have an abundance of gummy worms now. And that was kind of like one of the things that I really focused on this past year with the guys was giving them more options when it came to nutrition. I feel like a mom when I say this, but i have got incredibly picky eaters. It, as someone that loves food, I don't understand how how you can be so picky, but like one of my DBs is like, no, I, I can't eat that. I'm like, why? Well, it's a texture thing. I'm
0: like,
1: really? Like, that's what we're going to talk about right now. So working with these guys over the past year, being nutrition coordinator and really just kind of holding them accountable on a day-to-day basis of like, Hey, like, did you eat this today? No. Okay. Here. So one of my ri- wide receivers, he, was notorious for being a picky eater. So I had a box of snacks in my office and it was called uh, Insert His Name Box of Snacks. And he had to come in every day and check in with me and take his high calorie snacks so that I at least knew that he had them. And then at that point, it was up to him to eat on his own. But just that form of accountability, we were able to get his weight up. I believe he walked into our program at 182 and he was 200 pounds by the time season started you know, and just teaching them. I mean, I had to teach one of the guys the other day, you know, those Kodiak uh, pancake cup. I had to teach the guys how to make those the other day. They didn't know how to make them, you know, like, that's just, I feel like a mom on a day to day basis, because I'm teaching them these little things. But like, those are the things that I, they don't realize how important it actually is, Mm. until they have that knowledge, and they actually use it to be able to implement it into their play. So it's been a really cool role to take on. I just took it on this past year and the boys really love it because I, I bring in gummy
0: worms and stuff. So I don't get too many complaints, but it's been uh, really successful for our program. Cool. Okay. We're going to start wrapping it up here. Coach Mo, I just want to touch on a couple more things. Um, In terms of continued education for yourself specifically, uh, what does that kind of look like? Obviously when you're in the football season, it's, it's, it's nonstop. um, But uh, during maybe some of your downtime or something like that, uh, what does the continued uh education aspect of your career kind of look like current day?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, kind of two things that I want to focus on this next semester is uh, really expanding on my neurodevelopment within football players. Uh, so really getting back to the work with my uh, quarterbacks and my specialists. So, actually, one of the things that I do with the specialists uh, here at Rice is I play chess with them because it actually teaches me, I'm all kind of a horrible chess player and they let me know all the time, but I play it more so to get an understanding of how they, they perceive situations and make decisions. And if they make bad decisions on a chessboard, then that's similar to how they're going to make bad decisions on the field. So actually creating like a outline of what that means and actually creating a template for applying to their development neurological wise to be able to develop as football players. So that's one thing that I really want to focus on this next year. And then also, um, I never thought I would have to teach myself this and probably should taught myself this in school, but I'm actually teaching myself Python and R. That's kind of one thing in the strength and conditioning industry. If you want to understand how sports science works and have an easier time managing your sports science, you need to have an understanding of how to code. And I, again, I never thought I'd have to teach myself how to code, but that's one thing that I really want to spend time on this year is just understanding what that looks like and get a base knowledge. So I at least have that moving forward in my career.
0: Cool. Uh, Now, I want to kind of ask you this, uh, just to kind of wrap up your personal story, again, going back to the uh, major goal on your uh, mirror in your bathroom that you look at and, and, and speak every day. Um, Do you have uh, like a dream school that you would love to be the head strength and conditioning coach at? If so, what would that school be? (laughs) Well, of course, it's got to be Texas A&M University. Yeah.
1: (laughs) You know, I'm a ride or die Aggie. It's kind of built into the culture of Texas A&M is when you go there and you leave, you kind of never truthfully leave. Um, But, you know, like, at the end of the day, I want to be a head strength and conditioning. And that's why I leave it blank, because I'm not really set on one place. I want to be a part of a program that values culture and values developing young men. And if I can have access to that at any school and really have buy in from a staff and from a team that sees what I'm trying to build over and above that of football. Then at the end of the day, that's what I want to do. That's what I'm put here to do by God. So,
0: okay. Um, are there uh, outside of let's step outside of strength and conditioning for just a quick minute? Are there any like uh athletic coaches? Uh, you know, football coaches, basketball coaches, swimming coaches that you kind of uh, look up to or ad- ad- admire? Like for me, it's like whenever Nick Saban does an interview, like I I, I want to listen because. We're talking about like the the best of the best elite of the elite and just so much experience and wisdom. It's like that guy's going to say something, whether you love Alabama, hate Alabama, love Nick Saban, hate Nick Saban. I'm putting all of that to the side. Just like if you are somebody that wants to learn about life and sport and culture, like just listen to Nick Saban for two minutes because he's going to say something wise, right? You're going to be able to learn from him. So I love listening to him. But for you, are there any coaches outside of strength and conditioning uh, that you kind of look up to, love to maybe listen to their interviews? If so, who, who are those people?
1: Yeah. So kind of someone that I've been spending a lot of time with lately and like really getting to know as a human being is Sam Contorno. Sam Contorno is the sports scientist for the University of Texas or the applied sports scientist, excuse me, for the University of Texas. And she was kind of my first exposure to like women in the field. So she was a strength conditioning coach beforehand. And she moved into this like side of sports science. And she has really pushed me and challenged me in in the sports science realm of like what it actually means to integrate sports science into what you do, but also what it means to just be a dog in this field. And I think that's, it's super cool to see, because I mean, like, I mean, yeah. My mentors growing up, I didn't look up to like a Jennifer Aniston or like a Selena Gomez. I didn't look up to those kinds of people. I wanted to be the rock, Dwayne the Rock Johnson. That was who I looked up to growing up. And I never told anyone because I thought it was so like I was going to be judged for that. But that's who I looked up to because he is the epitome of what it means to find a way. Hmm. And I think that that was like one lesson that I learned from him was he found a way no matter what. And he's kind of close to home, too, because he played for the... Calgary Rough Riders, and that's where his whole story story started, and I'm from there, so I think that those are the kind of people that I look up to, so when Sam came into the picture for me, she was an awesome, like, realization of what it meant to be a dog, and find a way, she started her career a little bit later in life, whereas I got to start my career a little bit earlier in life, and now look where she is, she's doing amazing, and she has been a great example of what I want to be in this field and what I hope to accomplish as well.
0: Beautiful. Uh, so when coach Mo isn't coaching or hanging out in the weight room, uh, what, what do you like to do to kind of like uh, for R and R or what are some of your hobbies? What do you, uh, what do you enjoy outside of the coaching realm?
1: Yeah. So I'm a big country bumpkin. I actually, my family is, <laughs> my family is really adopted this like Southern hospitality lifestyle. So I typically spend my time with my family hunting. Um, my my dad's always been into, you know, deer hunting and we hog hunt down here because that's a big thing. Uh, so I usually go and I reset in like that home, like quiet environment. So I just got done hunting and spending that time with nature. My family is also still very big into water sports. So I get out there and, you know, move up the joints, hit a warm up routine on the boat now because I'm not young anymore. I can't jump in the water and do that. But like, you know, wake surfing and wakeboarding and keeping up with my ability to stay active and be outside is kind of the big things that I like to do to reset. Now, my, my passion, though, is traveling. I like seeing the world. So I try and go somewhere every year or every couple of months to kind of get a glimpse of what it's like outside of my little circle and meet people. Big people person, obviously I can talk a lot, so I have no problems with talk, talking to people. So going out and meeting people, and I think my next step in traveling is to go to Europe and see what it's like over there and be able to kind of have that experience
0: under my belt as well. Very cool. Have you ever been out to Colorado? I have. Okay. Where Where at? That's where I'm at. Where Where have you been out here in Colorado?
1: So my dad worked in Durango for many years. So we spent some time in Durango uh, camping, hiking, uh, skiing. Uh, My most favorite time that we had there was when we went and we were camping in a tent and there was this horrible storm and our tent was like literally blown like sideways right on top of us. So me and Colorado have a history of bad weather. But I think my favorite place that I actually traveled this uh, past couple of years was Big Sky, Montana.
0: Cool, cool. Very cool. Yeah, I actually live in Bayfield, which is about 15 minutes outside of Durango. So uh, that uh, definitely a beautiful, cool area. Okay, Coach Mo, we're gonna finish up. I wanna ask you kind of just this last question. Um, And and this is for for the guys out there, the girls out there. Um, But if somebody wants to get into uh, this field of strength and conditioning, whether that's the private sector, the public sector, high school, college, it doesn't really matter. Um what like what words of wisdom or what advice can you give somebody let's say they're uh you know getting ready to graduate high school or they're a freshman sophomore in college and they know just like you uh, they want to go in the direction of strength and conditioning. Let's let's just give us like three uh points or uh three kind of uh uh areas of uh direction that you can kind of give the listeners like hey if I was going to do it all over again, these are the three things that I would make sure I, I I did, you know, during undergraduate to set myself up for success in strength and conditioning.
1: Yeah, that's a super good question, because that's something that I wish I would have had when I first started in this field. My first big point, reach out, talk to coaches. I didn't know who to reach out to, and I was honestly so scared to reach out to coaches because I didn't really know if that was a thing or if that was allowed. The thing that you have to understand if you want to be a coach or strength and conditioning coach, it's not about what you know. It's about who you know, and then it becomes about what you know, you know? So I can have all of these amazing, like, qualities and knowledge and all. I could literally be a walking book, but at the end of the day, if I can't socialize, I can't make those connections, I can't build trust in and amongst coaches, not just athletes, then you're not going to make it very far in this field because it is very trusting. Like like I said, it's a family between you and your athletes, but it's also a family amongst coaches. So network, reach out, ask the tough questions. Even if you feel like you're like, I feel like this is a really ridiculous question, ask it because I would rather you have the answer and I would rather give you the answer than you not have the answer at all. And you know, walk blindly through things. My second biggest thing that I've really realized over this past year, meeting coaches and me as a coach myself, always be a student, Hmm. always be a student of your craft. You will never, even when I am, you know, head strength coach, coach Mo at whatever university, I will always make sure that I am a student and I'm always finding new things to learn. Cause like we talked about earlier, Strength coaching, there's no one right right way to do it so if you can find and that's the genetic window for football is getting tighter and tighter every day so if you can find one little tweak in something that you learned from reading this book or talking to this person and what they do in their training to make your athletes better that is your job so always be a student of your craft and three you have got to love this field You've got to love everything about this field. Otherwise, you will get burnt out and you will not make it. So you have to find the joy in the 3 a.m. wake-ups. You have to find the joy in the 2 a.m. plane rides back home. Mm -hmm. You have to find the joy in freezing your ass off on the sideline. You know, you have to find the joy in those little things because at the end of the day, that's what all makes it worth it. And when, you know, the boys look at me like, uh, after our bowl game, the boys all come up to me. Thank you, Coach Mo. Like, I, I really appreciate the year that you've spent with me, the time. You know, my seniors walking away, they come up to me. I had one come up to me and look at me, and he instantly started crying. And I was like, oh, my gosh, here I go. I'm not a crier like that. But that is the moments that make everything in this field so worth it. And if you can find the value in those things, then that is what makes you a strength coach. Hmm.
0: Wise words. Okay. Uh Coach Mo, we're gonna end it right there. I think we've had a very uh thorough conversation, touched on a lot of topics. Obviously, we got into your story. So um before I do a quick outro and I let you go, first of all, I just want to say thank you for coming on the podcast, sharing your story uh with all of us and some of your your wisdom and insights and in, in your time as a strength and conditioning coach. Um, great conversation, super fun. Um, So thank you so much. Uh, I want to kind of just give you the opportunity. um, Of course, like I said, we've had a really thorough conversation, but maybe there's something you want to leave with all of us. I want to give you the opportunity to kind of just share um, some final thoughts or final words if you have them. Um, If somebody has uh, resonated with your story, they want to connect with you, they want to follow along your your journey, so to speak, uh, where would you kind of want people to connect with you at? If that's Instagram, if there's a website, uh, something like that. Um, please give us that. Um, once you kind of finish up, I'll do a quick outro, and then uh, we'll get you, we'll get you, get you out of here. We'll get all the listeners out of here. Um, so I'm gonna turn it over to you, and then I'll do a quick outro. So platform's yours.
1: Yeah. First of all, thank you so much for taking the time to hear my story and you know having me on the podcast. I think that as a young strength and conditioning coach, like I said earlier, this would have been something that I would really have loved in my development. Uh, And coming into the field. So the more and more that you can get people on this platform and share their stories and let people know that they're not alone in their development, I think is absolutely incredible. So thank you so much for the time that you've given me. Um, I think I'll leave everyone with a quote that has resonated with me since I started in this career. And one thing that when I listen to it, I kind of get a chuckle out of because it's so true. But Babe Ruth said it, it's hard to beat someone who doesn't give up. You know, you could be in the worst situation, but if you keep standing up and you might get punched back down, but if you keep standing up at some point, the other one other person throwing the punches is going to get tired, you know, and if you can out beat that person in that sense, then there is nothing that you can't do in this industry or whatever industry you are in if you never give up. And that was one thing that I continued to do in my career and continue to do to this day and to try to teach my boys and anyone that I come across is. Never give up. Yeah. Um, if you guys want to reach out and ask your questions, like I say, network. And, you know, even if you just want to talk or follow my journey, please follow me on Instagram. Uh, it's at underscore Mo at underscore today. So forward motivate. And then I'm also on Twitter. So please uh, follow along. And if you ever need anything, I'm more than happy to have those conversations with you guys.
0: Very cool. All right, Coach Mo, I'm going to do a quick outro and then I'll get you out of here. Thank you again so much for coming on. Okay. Thank you. Okay. All of you who are tuning into another episode of Curious and Candid, I just want to say thank you so very much. I appreciate all of you. I value all of you, and I would love to connect with you. If you guys want to connect with me, there's a couple places that we can connect. First of all, Instagram, Curious and Candid Podcast. Uh, the second place that we can connect is through email, Podcast at gmail.com. If you guys would pl- please subscribe to Curious and Candid on iTunes, I would greatly appreciate that and leave a five-star rating review. That would be super cool. If you guys are interested in holistic lifestyle coaching, uh, please visit my website, which is awakentrainingnutrition.com. Again, I appreciate all of you, and we'll catch you guys next time on another episode of Curious and Candid.